Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, September the 22nd, 2022. It is currently 2.05 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I hope you will be somewhat open-minded because I'm going to make a suggestion of something that I think would greatly help with the disunity that is happening within the body of Christ, something that would bring at least some form of unity. It would would help maybe lessen the severity of the disunity, maybe in some way. It definitely would not fix it, but at least it would bring maybe a little, a sense of unity. And I'm going to suggest this idea, and I know it's going to sound absolutely crazy. Some of you will just flat out go, I I would not go along with that if you gave me a million dollars. I understand. Well, probably you would go along with it if I gave you a million dollars, but you understand that there is probably going to be some who say, I would not do that, and I reject it. But, 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 I just ask that you listen, and I want you to make sure you understand this. I am not saying this would fix all of the disunity within the body of Christ. Now, we've been working on this series, right? We've been working on a series trying to find the steps to bring unity to Christianity, steps that would bring unity to the church. And what we've listened to so far, we've worked through and read, was an article where someone suggested seven steps to church unity, seven steps to bring unity to the body of Christ. And working through their seven... I mean, they didn't really offer anything tangible, anything practical. In fact, really, we could have renamed the article Steps to Act Correctly in the Midst of Disunity because they did not really provide anything meaningful. So those those programs, those episodes were extremely frustrating and irritating, but that was done on purpose because I wanted you yelling at your phone or your computer going, no, 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 none of those steps will work. Here's what will work. And I even gave you the opportunity to email me your suggestions. I didn't receive many, but the one thing I found interesting is no one had my suggestions. So that means probably that that's because mine is mine is absolutely crazy. And you're going to go, what in the world is he talking about? But we need to discuss it. So I, I want you to listen to me very careful, carefully. The reason I'm going to suggest what I'm about to suggest is because my perspective is this, and I'm, I, I think that I, I'm pretty dogmatic on this. When it comes to e, the evangelical Protestant Christian world, here's what's never going to happen. There's never going to be unity of anything tangible or meaningful. And as long as we continue to think that there's even a chance for that, we are, we are deluded, we are, we, we are delusional, we are, we're just being foolish. It's never going to happen. There will never be unity in any tangible way. There just will not be, all right? You're not going to see in a situation, typically you won't even see this. It happens here or there, but these are rare occasions Rarely can you look at a city or a town and go, man, if those two churches came together, 
That would probably be, be more beneficial for both congregations, more beneficial for everyone. No, because you have separate congregations and they want to do things their own little way. They don't like the other, whatever the case may be. In many cases, you won't, you won't, you're not going to see churches come together, even when it would probably be advantageous to both. There's not going to be unity. You're not going to see churches in many cases willing to sacrifice or do what is better to help the other church. Churches are in competition against each other, no matter how much they claim they're not. They are. Um, you're not going to have Christians come together theologically or doctrinally. That's not going to happen. You're not even going to have Christians come together on principles of interpretation. You're just there is just so little unity you're going to have. There's not going to be theological unity. There's not going to be practical unity. There's not going to be church unity. There, it's just disunity is going to continue to reign. So because of that's the reality I'm operating from. So. That means, on one hand, trying to find steps to bring unity is an absolutely foolish endeavor because there isn't any. There isn't any that's going to bring about unity. There's just not, other than people just completely abandoning doctrine, theology, hermeneutics. Basically, you have to abandon biblical Christianity to find yourself to bring unity to the body of Christ. Even those who are somewhat in agreement theologically still find themselves in enough disagreement that they will not work together and usually start arguing with one another. There's just so much disunity. So because there's so little we can do, I have to come up with ideas that even though I know will never bring about, now I want you to listen to me, true, meaningful, tangible unity, but I think it would at least produce a kind of unity, kind of a pseudo unity, not the real thing, but at least it would, it would be very interesting to see what happens. So let me, let me state it this way. My idea, look, my ideas are, are, I'm suggesting my ideas based off the reality that I know that there's never going to be true, meaningful unity. I know that. But I thought I would come up with something that it's never going to happen. So what I'm about to suggest is never going to happen. Uh, the evangelical world would never agree to it. But I want you to imagine if, and I stress if, all evangelical Christians, churches, all independent, fundamental, Baptists, you name it, all kinds of, of, of non-Catholic, evangelical, fundamentalists, you name the, the, the Protestant non-Catholic group, if all of them, and I stress, if all of them would put into place the steps I'm going to suggest, I want you to imagine if what would that look like? What would be the practical benefits and what would be the negative benefits? Now, again, I'm not saying, listen to me, that people will do what I'm about to suggest. And I'm not saying that it would produce true, meaningful unity. What I'm suggesting is if we tried this, what would it look like? What would it look like? Look, this is, this is the, the payoff. For going through all of those other episodes, this, this episode is hopefully a payoff because you're going to hear probably something you're never going to hear anywhere else and something that I think is interesting. So I'm going to simply throw out this like crazy hypothesis, this crazy idea, and then you get the opportunity to then just tear it apart. You can critique it going, well, it, it, I mean, you can, you can give me all the negatives, but hopefully you'll also, so you can tear it apart. I don't really need to tell you to tear it apart because people tear things apart, I say all the time. So that's okay. What I, I guess I want you to do 
I mean, you can tear it apart, is I want you to just think about what would be the possible positive things that could arise from this utterly absurd and crazy idea, all right? So you've got to use your imagination, all right? So think about, first, you don't have to imagine this, think and consider the state of Christianity today with its divisiveness, its division, its disunity, its discord, its schism, its constant fighting, arguing, you're not saved, you're not saved, you're not saved, you're not saved, that person shouldn't even be a preacher, they don't know what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. We know that. Christianity is divided as it's ever been. You know that's a reality. Now imagine if everyone who's divided, everyone who is fighting and arguing, if just for imagination's sake, just for just for, uh, you know, just trying to, just for, just to throw it out as a theory, right? Just pretend, just imagine if in the midst of all of that disunity and fighting and discord, everyone said, okay, we are willing, everyone, all churches, okay, fundamental, reformed, not reformed, all of these churches agreed to do four things. Four things. Some of you not even going to know what I'm talking about with these four things, but if you will just do a little research into them, I think you would be like, wow, that would be fascinating. So are you ready? All right, here is number one. Lectionary. Lectionary. I just want you to write down the word lectionary. If churches everywhere adopted a common lectionary. That would mean that every single church service, Sunday morning, just anytime on Sunday or Wednesday or or whatever time there's a church service, they would all, every church in America, I'm just going to focus on America, Every church in America, no matter their theological background, so this would not require them to change their theology or their doctrine, but every single one of them would be reading and preaching on the exact same text, or at least reading the exact same text. They would have some leeway in which text they chose to preach on. But every Christian who goes to church on any given Sunday would all be able to say, oh, yeah, we read that. Yeah, what, 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 what sermon? Okay, did they put the, the, the passages together? Now, you may be like, wait, what's a lectionary? Well, let me explain that first. Let me explain that first, because this is, I think, very important, all right? A lectionary, if you do not know, is a list of book, a list or, okay, a list of books. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the way they have this defined. A list of... And a list that includes book and the portions of that book appointed to be read at a church service. Or we could say a list of portions of the Bible appointed to be read at a church service. So a lectionary would be like, okay, this coming Sunday, you're going to read this Old Testament passage. You're going to read this Psalm. You're going to read this epistle and you're going to read this gospel. There would be basically four readings. I know the Psalm is not necessarily classified as a reading in more liturgical churches, but we'll just go. There'll be four readings. Everyone's going to read the same Old Testament passage. Everyone's going to read the same epistle. Everyone's going to read the same gospel. And everyone will either uh, chant the Psalm, sing the Psalm, something with the Psalm in the worship service. 
everyone, every church doing the exact same lectionary. This does not require anyone to change their doctrine, their theology, doesn't have, doesn't require anyone to change anything. They don't have to compromise anything. Let me give you an example of how a lectionary would work, all right? So if we look at the lectionary, and I'm just going to use the, the one that I've used before. It's been around for a very long time. But if we go to Sunday, September the 25th, 2022, all right? And this would be the one used in, in the Catholic Church. Uh, but, well, just just stay with me. It's Catholic. No, no, it's scripture, right? It's a, the early church had lectionary readings, okay? That's where everyone was reading and hearing the read, the exact same passages, and then the pastor would preach which one of those to preach from. But let me just give you an example, all right? This coming Sunday, this coming Sunday, just imagine the scene. Everyone who goes to church, doesn't matter what kind of church, doesn't matter what state, Everyone goes to church, and the first reading they heard was Amos chapter 6, verse 1, and verses 4 through 7. Amos chapter 6, verse 1, verses 4 through 7. Everyone sat there and heard Amos chapter 6, verse 1, read, and verses 4 through 7. The Psalm 146, verses 7 through 10. Psalm 146, verses 7 through 10. The second reading would be 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. Again, the psalm is not necessarily called a reading. So the first reading would be Amos chapter 6, verse 1, and verses 4 through 7. The psalm would be Psalm 146, 7 through 10. The second reading would be 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. And the gospel would be Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Everyone would hear that read, and everyone would hear a sermon preached on one of those readings. The pastor could either try to put all of the readings together if he felt that there was a a common link. He could just grab one of the passages, but everyone would hear them read. So no matter where you go after church, you hop on Facebook, you're on social media, you're hanging out with Christian friends, it doesn't matter what church they go to. You know, so which reading did your pastor preach from? Which reading did you find? Everyone would have something in common. Right now, if I, if I hop on the Theology Central Discord channel, right, on a Sunday, say, all right, guys, what, what passage was preached at your church? Nobody, no, everyone's going to have a different passage was preached. Every single one. Now, there would be literally nothing in common. Every once in a while, maybe we're preaching in the same book, but it's not, never the same. It would be amazing if we all came in, we all heard the same passages read, and we all and everyone heard a sermon from one of those passages or all of them combined in some way shape or form now would that would that fix disunity no but it would give a sense of unity that every christian who goes to church would hear the exact same one that would even put us in in quote unquote a sense of unity even with those who are in liturgical churches say the roman catholic church I'm not, we're not, we're not agreeing with their theology, but we'd be hearing the same passages read. The only time we would deviate is when they place something from the Apocrypha. We could, we could, we could, we could, we could set that aside and replace it with something else. But for the most part, there would be a, there would be a sense of unity, at least that we're all hearing read the exact same thing. And there is a, there is the Sunday lectionary and there's the weekday lectionary. 
Now, the weekday could cover the Wednesday service. So, for example, yesterday, September the 21st, the readings, and there's only, there, there's not as many readings in uh, the weekday. The first reading would have been Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and then verses 11 through 13. The psalm was Psalm 19, 2 through 5, and the gospel, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Like everybody who went to church on Wednesday would have heard read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, verses 11 through 13. The psalm would have been Psalm 19, verses 2 through 5, and the gospel would have been Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Everyone who went to church on Wednesday would have heard the exact same thing. Imagine, would this not be crazy? Like you go to a, 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 a website or an app like Sermons 2.0, Sermon Audio. And every new sermon that popped up for a Wednesday or for a Sunday, everyone would be have preached a message on one of those readings. Every one of them. Now, yes, would they have approached the passages in a drastically different way and come to drastically different conclusions? But just imagine everyone, Christians all around the world, would be meditating and thinking about the exact same passages of Scripture at the exact same time. That would be fascinating, just from a social experiment. I'm not saying that it's going to bring unity. I'm saying it would create this feeling that, wow, we're all reading the same thing, hearing sermons on the same thing, talking about the same thing, meditating on the same thing. So there, there's the lectionary. Now, the lectionary could be used for all church services, but guess what? The lectionary could also be used, if all Christians would do this, they could be used for, um, it could be used for a devotional. Could be used for a devotional. So think about this. When everyone goes to church, they would hear the exact same passages of scripture and they would hear a sermon on one of those passages of, of scripture. Imagine millions of Christians all hearing the exact same thing. And then for the small, 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 small number of Christians. Okay, maybe that's not fair. But let's just say you take all the Christians who do actually do something every single day for some kind of devotional, some kind of reading. Can you imagine if all of those Christians were doing the exact same thing for their devotional? Let me give you an example. Because there's a weekday lectionary. So I already gave you the one for Wednesday. So today is Thursday, September the 22nd. Well, if I go to that, guess what? If we were all doing our devotionals together, the first reading would have been Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. The psalm would have been Psalm 90, verse 3 through 6, verses 12 through 14, and verse 17. And then the uh, gospel would have been Luke 9, 7 through 9. We would have all, everyone doing a devotional today, that would be what they would use for the devotional. So the church would use the lectionary and individual Christians would use the lectionary in their daily devotional life. Can you imagine that? Monday through Saturday, Monday through Saturday all Christians are reading the exact same scriptures for their devotional time. Everyone is. Every Christian is, and then every, listen, every church or denomination or theologic, like Reformed theology, everyone then could place, could create devotionals who, that may interpret the passage in their theological perspective, but guess what? It would still be, everyone would be, would be looking at the exact same passage of scripture for their daily devotions. So every, every time someone went to church, no matter where they live, they would hear the same passages of Scripture read, and one of those passages would be used as the text for the sermon. 
then when they go home, every Christian would be reading the exact same passages of Scripture for their devotional time. And then if devotionals are made, it would just be like, here's the Southern Baptist devotional on the lectionary for the weekday. Here's the whatever, wherever you get your devotional material from. Wouldn't that be absolutely just, just from a social experiment? I'm not saying it would bring unity. I'm saying it would give a greater sense of unity than anything we've experienced in the Protestant non-Catholic world. It's just been arguing and fighting forever. Wouldn't that be fascinating? I think so. So we have the lectionary for church and for devotional time. How about, so there's lectionary. How about the next thing we involved is the liturgy of the hours. If everyone is hearing the same text for, for church, everyone is reading the same text for devotional, can you imagine if every single Christian was praying the exact same words other with small modifications? You're like, I don't know what the liturgy of the hours is. But the liturgy of the hours is based off this concept of, of how the early church prayed. Really, take it back. It's based off how the Jews prayed. It goes back to Jewish times where they had specific hours set for prayer. There's, there was the concept. Now, sometimes you'll see in the Bible, it was the fourth hour or the sixth hour. There was specific hours set for prayer. I don't have time to go through the entire teaching on the liturgy of the hours. I've taught it multiple times, but we can go back. I think there was originally, there were seven hours of prayer, I think originally. Now I think it's been, it's been reduced. So we could go through the history of it. But the liturgy of the hours is designed that there are that, that basically you want your entire 24 hour period to be focused on the things of God and that you should be praying the same thing, and that the whole church, all of Christianity, would be praying the exact same words, and the words we would be praying come from, well, these scriptures, the liturgy of the hours. So it works like this. You have what we'll call morning prayer. You have what's called office of the readings. You have afternoon prayer. Now, afternoon can be early afternoon, mid-afternoon, late afternoon, afternoon. You have evening, and you have late night. So that at these specific times, now not that people could always do this every day, but whenever people got ready to do something devotional or pray, this is what they would be praying. And then people around the world would be praying the exact same thing. We would be listening to the same passages of scripture read and preached from in church. We would be reading the exact same passages of scripture in devotion. And when it came to prayer time, we'd be using the exact same thing called the liturgy of the hours. Let me give you an example of the liturgy of the hours right now. All right, now if you if you uh, go to your app store, I think Apple Apple App Store or the Android, I think if you look for something called Divine Office, you should find the app. I have the app right here. Right now there are 98 people uh, in the world praying right now, and I'm assuming they're they are probably praying mid-afternoon prayer. But let's just start with morning prayer, all right? So if you were to do morning prayer this morning, it would have started with first a hymn, right? There's a hymn. Well, first, it would start with everyone saying these words, God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Alleluia. 
right? That's how ever ever everyone around the world would be saying the exact same words. There's there's the hymn. Everyone would be reading the exact same hymn. We could we could we can make modification for those who are not Catholic. If you see something too Catholic here, there are certain aspects that are too Catholic. It's easy to modify it because ninety nine percent of this is just scripture. Then it would come to the first part of the uh, the first part of morning prayer, which is to pray a psalm. And there's what's called an antiphon, which is a short phrase to try to give you the concept. So everyone would say, awake, lyre, and harp, awake, lyre, and harp with praise. Let us awake the dawn, because this is morning prayer. Then everyone would pray Psalm 57. Have mercy on me. God, have mercy for you. My soul has taken refuge and the shadows of your wings. I take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. You would take the words of scripture and pray them. Psalm 57. All right. Uh, then, uh, then, then after that, uh, you would then pray Jeremiah 31, 10 through 14. Then you would pray Psalm 48. Uh, then you would uh, read Isaiah 66, 1 through 2. Then there's what's called, a, a, then there's a moment of silence. Then there's what's called a responsory. And then you would read uh, from Luke 1, 68 through 79. And then you would give some uh, times for intercessions. These could be modified to be maybe less uh, Protestant if you are less Catholic if you needed them to be. Most of them are pretty straightforward. Um, and then you would pray the Lord's Prayer. And then you would conclude the prayer with all powerful and ever living God. At morning, noon, and evening, we pray, cast out from our hearts the darkness of sin. Bring us to light of your truth. Uh, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with the Holy Spirit, uh, with the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. And that would conclude, uh, uh, that would conclude the end of morning prayer. It's called the Liturgy of the Hours. Some of you may not be familiar with it, but we would literally be praying the exact same words, and we would be praying Scripture, making prayer not so much about us, but prayer reciting the words of God to God, making it about God more than anything else. But it's called the Liturgy of the Hours. That's how the early church prayed. And if you follow the Liturgy of the Hours, you basically pray all 150 Psalms um, in basically a month. If you pray all of them, you've got the morning prayer, you've got office of readings, you've got afternoon prayer, evening prayer, and late night prayer. There, there's so much to. Now, now I understand liturgy of the hours. If you take, like, I've got all the books right here. I've got all the volumes for the liturgy of the hours. I'll be honest with you. They're almost, it takes a long time to learn how to use them. It takes a long time to figure out where you're supposed to be and where you're supposed to be reading from. They are very complicated, but with a little bit of modification, every, I mean, every, there should just be like one website. Hey, a liturgy of the hours for everyone. Well, there, there's an app for it. And you say, sometimes there may be something a little too Catholic. Just skip the Catholic part. Like if you, if you feel it's too Catholic, I mean, but 99% of it's just scripture. So you can't say that it's too Catholic. It's literally the words of, of God. It's the words of scripture. But can you imagine if every Christian in America was following the lectionary, they were hearing the same scriptures read and that and one of those scriptures preached from. Can you imagine if everyone was using the lectionary for their devotional reading and study? Everyone was meditating and reading the exact same scripture. And can you imagine if everyone was, was praying the exact same words relatively close to the exact same time? 
morning time, afternoon time, evening time, late night. Christians, you don't even know. All praying the same words. Can you imagine what that would look like? And then, so we have lectionary. We have the liturgy of the hours. I think I said four things. We'll, we'll make it three. And then one other. What if all Christians followed the historic church calendar? Now, the church calendar was designed to make sure the liturgy of the hours was to try to make sure we realize that every hour we should be focused on God. Every hour, our attention should be up uh, on the things of God. We should be setting our affections every hour. The liturgy of the, uh, the, uh, the church calendar is designed to make all of the seasons not based off like, oh, it's summertime. It's, it's you know, uh, uh, we, we live by a secular calendar, right? Oh, it's, it's Labor Day. It's Memorial Day. It's, you know, it's, it's Valentine's Day. Whatever, whatever it is. Halloween, whatever. And we have all of these t- season, winter, fall. We have all of that. But that's all a, a calendar designed more about us. What if we followed a calendar that drew our attention to God and the key, like key things of scripture, right? So in other words, you have Advent, all right? That's how the season begins. The church calendar begins with Advent. And that's preparing and thinking and meditating on the first and second coming of Christ. Then you have Christmas and what's called Christmas time, basically, because Christmas is more than a day. It's a season in the early church. So then you have Christmas where you focus on the incarnation of Christ, on the incarnation. You have Epiphany. You have what's called Easter. I don't like the word Easter, but you understand the time to remember the resurrection of Christ. You have what's called ordinary time on the church calendar. You have ordinary time after Pentecost. You have Pentecost. You have Trinity Sunday. You have all of these things where where you have entire sections. You have Lent. I know many people don't like that, but Lent's a time to think about repenting and your sin. It can you can make it a Catholic, or you can take the concept and just. Go beyond Catholicism. Everyone can think think about sin and repentance and spiritual revival. It would be, the whole year would be focused, every Christian and every church would be focused on the exact same thing during those seasons. What would it look like if Christians everywhere and churches everywhere use the lectionary? Use the lectionary for church and for personal devotional time. What if Christians everywhere were praying the exact same words using the liturgy of the hours? And what would happen if Christians everywhere was following the exact same calendar, the church calendar, following the exact same seasons? We could go through all the seasons of the church calendar, but, I, you know, you could go, you can look at all of them. Now, some people say, well, I don't like Easter. What, you don't, you don't like the resurrection of Christ? We don't have to call it Easter. We'll call it resurrection season, whatever we want to call it, right? I mean, we can change, we can modify it here or there so that no one has to compromise anything major because all the church calendar is a d- designed around biblical events, right? It's de- it's designed to remember Jesus 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. It's designed to remember the incarnation. It's designed to remember the passion of Christ and his resurrection. It's designed to remember Pentecost. It's designed to remember the Trinity. It's the Christ the King Sunday. There's all these things on the church calendar that gives it Advent, preparing for the first and second coming. All of these things that all of it's theological and doctrinal and biblical. What would happen if every Christian was following these things? The lectionary, 
for church and devotion, the liturgy of the hours for prayer, and the church calendar to live their lives based off a season and a, and a cycle of time that's God-centered instead of man-centered. What would Christianity look like? Now, it's never going to happen. I know it's the most ridiculous concept in the history of man. I understand that. But what would happen if it did? Just say for a two-year experiment. What would happen? For Just think, for two years, every church, every Christian followed this. Now you say, well, there's no way to enforce it. I understand. I would hope, like I would, just imagine if two years, everyone was willing to try. Do you think it would, I'm not saying it would bring unity. And I'm not saying that anything should be done in my suggestion that would compromise someone's doctrine or theology. I just think it would be fascinating that everyone would be thinking and reading and praying and, and, and everything would be the same. Everyone. I think there's something to it. Now, I could have gone through and tried to explain a little bit more how each one of these works, but you can look them up. Lectionary, you can look that up, okay? If you can't find one, I can give you a a site that will give you the lectionary readings. And go to EWTN, EWTN. I know it's Catholic, but you can look for today's readings and it will give you the calendar for the lectionary. Again, sometimes, and there's just scripture, it's just scripture. Sometimes, yeah, they'll throw something in from the Apocrypha, just skip that reading, all right? It's not like that, it's like, oh no, I'm gonna... So I'm going to be injected with something. No, okay, it's just scripture. It's just giving you the, the things to read. The uh, lit, uh, lit, Liturgy of the Hours, if you, divine, uh, if you find the app, I, th- I think if you just type in Divine Office, let me look. I'm going to go to the Apple App Store. I'm going to go to the Apple App Store. If you just type in Divine Office. Yeah. If you, t- if you type in Divine Office, it's right there at the top on the right-hand corner. It's got a, bra- a brown background uh, with a Bible in the middle and like a cross with a big light in the middle of it. You'll see it. It's a beautiful app. It's a beautiful app. Now, uh, you may, um, I think they make it for free. Originally, it was like $24, and you think that's ridiculous, but it actually wasn't. It was really, it was worth it. But um, I've, been, I've been using the app forever because when I try to learn how to use it, when I first read about the Liturgy of the Hours, I was like, how do I figure it? I even contacted a monk in a monastery. I know you think I'm joking, but I, I am not because I'm like, how does this work? And he tried to explain it, and I was so baffled and confused, but I was like, thank you. And he's like, you know, why didn't you ask your parish priest? I'm like, I'm not Catholic, okay? Um, I'm just trying to figure this thing out. So, so yeah, th- that's why. But yeah, I mean, whatever I have to do to, to learn things. But uh, the Liturgy of the Hours, just look at it. Even if you, I mean, I've tried to teach people about it. Some people are, I, I understand some people are like, oh, that sounds like a cool idea. And then you're like, uh, but, you know, it, it requires work. And, and then the church calendar, I've taught about that. But you know what blows my mind is I, it would be amazing if we could get this to work. Obviously, it never would. But what blows my mind is how unwilling even people in a local church are unwilling to participate. Like you say, okay, everyone, here's the, we're going to give everyone the same devotional guide and we're all going to use it every week, right? And I want you to talk about it. Nope, people won't use it. People throw it aside. They won't do it. Hey, we're going to do this Bible study exercise. You can't get everyone to participate. They don't want to participate. And then they complain that there seems to be disunity. Well, you won't even do the thing suggested. So clearly, no. So what I'm suggesting is insane. I just want you to imagine what it would look like. 
every Christian who goes to church on any given Sunday or Wednesday night hear the exact same scriptures read and a sermon from one of those scriptures. When they go home to do their devotion, they would be looking at the exact same scripture. The exact When they get ready to pray, they would be praying the exact same words relatively close to that particular time. And then they would be looking at the calendar following a church calendar where their focus for that particular season would be on the exact same thing with other Christians. I want to know what you think that would look like. I want you to know, tell me what you think the benefits are. Oh, feel free to offer the criticism, but I want you to just think about it and let me know because we just spent all of the time we have in this series looking at someone suggests steps to bring unity to the church and they didn't offer anything tangible or anything even, no, I mean, it was nothing. I'm offering at least something tangible that people could do. And I know it wouldn't fix all of the theological division, but it would just be fascinating What would be the end results if the church, if all Christians tried this for two years? You can tell me what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. All right, and I don't want someone emailing me going, you're you're trying to make people Catholic. No, I'm saying if we had the lectionary, the scriptures in our Bible, that's just scripture. That's just scripture. Praying the same thing, not talking about contemplative prayer or anything like that, just praying those words that which are just scripture. And then the church calendar, focusing on biblical and theological truths, and everyone's fo- focused on the exact same thing at the exact same time. What would that do for a church that's more divided than ever? Newsif at yahoo.com. I know a crazy suggestion, but go back, listen, if you have any questions about any of the things I suggested and you don't understand them and you want to know more, let me know. We'll, we'll do what we can just to at least let you know about these things if you're not familiar with them. All right. Email me again, newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. This completes this series. We've got other series to work on, but I wanted to bring this one to somewhat, I think, of a fulfilling end. And I think, well, you can tell me what you think about my suggestions. God bless.